The domestic season may be over, but we still have the Champions League and Europa League to come. And Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the games live, with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hello, this is this week's Zonal Marking Podcast. It's brought to you by The Athletic and I'm Ali Maxwell. Now, my regular pod partner, Michael Cox, is away this week, but we've more than made up for his absence with three excellent guests with me today. Rafa Honigstein, James Horncastle and Dermot Corrigan, who cover the Bundesliga, Serie A and La Liga, respectively, for The Athletic. I suppose you could call myself and these three experts the Coxless Four, and me and the crew will be previewing the return of the Champions League and the Europa League as we get ready for a feast of European football over the next few weeks. And we will also hear from Sam Lee, Laurie Whitwell, Simon Johnson and Tim Spears to chat us through the prospects of Manchester City, Manchester United, Wolverhampton Wanderers and Chelsea as well. How do you replace Michael Cox? You get seven extra guests involved. And let's get cracking. Look, before we get our teeth into all things Champions League and Europa League, it'd be remiss of me not to mention that this week we celebrate one year of The Athletic launching in the UK and all three of you hugely involved in what's been a a, a brilliant year. And quite kindly, actually, you've all picked your favourite piece that you've written for the site in the last year, and it's been made available for free for all readers. What I'd like to know is, of what has been a large body of work for all three of you guys, um, what has been your favourite piece this year, what will be available to read, uh, and why, starting with you, James? Well, because we're about to talk about the Champions League and the return of European football, I decided to go with uh, my interview with Jose Mourinho, about his role in Inter's treble winning season. It's a decade since then. And uh, we'll have to see if Antonio Conte can uh, replicate what he achieved. If not this year, then maybe next, depending if he's sticking around. Quite the flex to start with. An interview with Mourinho. Uh, what about yourself, Rafa? What are you following up with here? Uh, not quite as big a name just yet, but maybe in future. René Maric, who's the assistant coach of Marco Rosa, Borussia Gladbach, gave me a very long interview during the training camp in January. Uh, about the ins and outs in football tactics. And he is someone who's always worth talking to, but also hopefully worth worth reading in print. And uh, uh, an unusual entry 
into the game, which is not dissimilar from Mourinho himself, of course, back in the day, albeit in a different era. Uh, Dermot, to finish us off, which is your favourite piece that will be available to read for free over the next week? I've gone for a piece that spoke to a good few people who know Lino Messi pretty well, just to find out what it is that Messi really wants at Barcelona, because it's the, it's the big question at the moment around around Barca is how do they, they rebuild? What's going to come next? What can they do to, to keep Messi happy and to, to rebuild the team around him? So it was just looking at such a, a complex character and such a difficult person to, to get to know. We all have seen him so do so many things on the pitch, but he doesn't talk so much. And when he does talk, he, he often doesn't give away exactly what he, he wants to say. So it was just trying to find out what he wants from Barcelona and why this season he's been so angry. OK, well, of course, uh, if you'd like to read those pieces, they're all available for free over the next week. If you'd like to start a trial and check out everything that The Athletic has to offer, not just football related, but American sports as well. Many of those, of course, back up and running in the States. You can get a 30-day free trial if you head to theathletic.co.uk forward slash zonal marking. So as we celebrate one year of The Athletic in the UK, uh, do sign up and give it a go if you have not done so. Uh, Just a general question to start with, to kick us off, because it's actually been a while since we've been thinking and talking about the Champions League. For listeners who aren't up to speed, I think it'd be really handy uh, if you guys could tell me from the country that you cover who is left in the Champions League and how they finished the domestic season. We'll start with you, Rafa, because the Bundesliga finished just over a month ago towards the end of June. What is the German interest in the returning Champions League? So Germany has two representatives left in the competition. One of them is straight through to the quarterfinals. That's RB Leipzig after beating Jose Mourinho Spurs. Home and away, they have got Atletico Madrid, which is going to be very, very difficult. But you wouldn't bet necessarily against Leipzig becoming one of the surprise teams of this format because of the, I think, increased volatility that the uh, one-legged ties will bring. Uh, Maybe one of those um, sort of slightly lesser heralded sides can can go quite far and and Leipzig would be one of them. Um, There's also Bayern Munich, as far as more heralded (laughs) sides are concerned. They've just uh, won their eighth consecutive title in the Bundesliga. Leipzig uh, finished third in the end and of course they are strong favourites to go through to the quarters having registered a 3-0 win in the first leg against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge the second leg if not a formality then certainly seen as something that should be not too much an obstacle and then they face either Napoli or Barcelona in the quarterfinal and James similarly in Italy there's a side with plenty of Champions League pedigree and a couple with <laughs> slightly lesser. Yeah, I think you're talking about Juventus when you say pedigree and when you <laughs> sign Cristiano Ronaldo, you're not going into this competition thinking that the round of 16 is a success. Um, you want to win it and they need to overcome a 1-0 deficit uh, against Lyon in Turin on Friday night in order just to get to Portugal uh, for the final eight. They did win the league, but they kind of limped over the line, You know, unlike in previous seasons where they have carried on winning after taking the title, they really took their foot off the gas and, you know, are making excuses a little bit, saying that, you know, we've had more fixtures to fulfill than anybody else. Uh, we're going to be tired. Leon have only played one game in five months. Look how fit and fresh they were in the Coupe de la Ligue final, which they lost. Then you've got Atalanta, who are already in the quarterfinals. We'll be without Josip Ilicic, who won't feature at all. He's been given compassionate leave. But certainly, I think the most exciting Italian team in the competition and the one that is on the right side of the draw, they play Paris Saint-Germain, which you know could be a, 
thrilling shootout between two of the most talent-loaded attacking teams in the competition. And then Napoli, who, you know, when they qualified for the knockout stages, seemed in disarray. Carlo Ancelotti walked away. They mutinied and you had Rino Gattuso come into a really complicated situation, but he's galvanized the team and they've established a reputation of being a really good cup team. They won the Coppa Italia and they were unlucky really only to draw 1-1 in the first leg of their round of 16 game against Barcelona. And I'm curious to hear what Dermot has to say about them because I wouldn't necessarily uh, be backing Barca in this tie. I know they've got a great record at the Camp Nou, but uh, with Mertens in form, I think Napoli have a chance to to be in Lisbon next week. We'll tackle the individual games in just a second, but just to finish off this overview, Dermot, uh, a few Spanish sides left in the competition that have been mainstays of the knockout stages in recent history. As James was saying there, Barcelona, things are not have not gone well for them since the return to action after the, the lockdown. They came back ahead of Madrid in the La Liga title race, but were quickly reeled in by Madrid. And there was all kinds of eruptions both on and off the pitch at the camp now. There's been problems between senior players, including Messi and the dressing room. The coach has also had, Kike Sedian has also had problems with players, especially Griezmann, Suarez as well. Um, so they're really in a, in a difficult state. They're looking to the Champions League to save their season, really. But as James said as well, the first leg, you know, Napoli were probably the better team in that, especially in the first half. And it's really a difficult one for Barcelona. They're, they're not well set up. They're not confident really going into the game. And it's it's very interesting to see how it's going to go. The other, you know, Madrid, things have been just the exact opposite. You know, when Madrid lost to, to Manchester City in the first leg back in, in February, they lost 2-1 at home. There was a feeling that, you know, their season was, was going completely off the rails, that they were in, in trouble in all competitions. The lockdown really helped them to, to refocus. it and did a very good job of getting everybody mentally ready for, for the, the weird circumstances of the, the lockdown. And those who weren't ready, like maybe Gareth Bale and James Rodriguez, were just left out completely. So we did won 10 straight games, kept a lot of clean sheets, just conceded six goals in their in their 11 games during the on their way to, to motoring towards the title. So they, you know, it's difficult to go to Man City. They've never won and uh, they've never managed to turn around an away defeat in a first leg in, in European competition. But they're still confident that, that they'll find a way to do it, that they, if they are Madrid and the, the European Cup, the Champions League is, is their competition and they think they, they might be able to do it. Atletico, again, was a bit of a contrast because their last game before, Atletico Madrid's last game before the lockdown was that amazing win at at Anfield, where they knocked out, you know, Liverpool, who were the defending champions, who were the runaway Premier League leaders. But they showed that in the European Cup or in the Champions League, that they can take on the big guys and beat them as well. And since the football came back, Atletico have been really tight, really solid as well. They had a, a quite erratic start to the La Liga season. A lot of players left last summer and you guys came in. But Simeone kind of has, has pieced together a new team that, again, went unbeaten over the, the 11 games. They just conceded six goals as well in, in that time. Uh, and they looked very good and very ready for... You know what what they see as you know a game against Leipzig, who are a bit of an unknown quantity here in in Spain. You know, be interested to hear what what Rafa says about them because you know we wouldn't have seen very much of them here, but they feel that they can do well, that they're on a good side of the draw, and they have unfinished business in in Lisbon as well, which is where you know they lost that Champions League final to to Madrid back in 2014, and they feel that this year that maybe they can they can come back and finally win a first Champions League. It's going to be unusual this culmination of the Champions League, but from a footballing perspective, a number of fascinating fixtures to fulfil and potential draws in the quarterfinals and the semifinals 
as well. So let's get into some of the games that we can expect to see over the next week or so. Manchester City are in a strong position on paper, heading into the second leg against Real Madrid. 2-1 up on aggregate and playing at home at the Etihad. We caught up with our man City correspondent Sam Lee to ask him whether he feels like this is City's best chance of winning the Champions League under Pep Guardiola. I don't actually think this is City's best chance of winning the Champions League. I think last season was probably better. They were a better team. Obviously, if you look at how they performed in the Premier League and the trophies they won domestically, um, they were very unlucky to go out against Tottenham. If they'd have beaten Tottenham, they'd have played Ajax in the semi-final and then a 90-minute game against Liverpool at a neutral venue. Anything could have happened in that. So that would have been a, a fantastic chance for them. Probably a better chance than this year. Obviously, they're not quite as good in the in the Premier League they've got a few issues they need to sort out so last season was probably a better chance than this season but what I will say is they have got a good chance of winning it this time around they're in a difficult side of the draw they'll have to get past uh, Lyon Juventus Bayern Munich Barcelona those kind of teams even if they get past Real Madrid so it's going to be difficult they can do it I don't think the 90 minute games help them if they have their problems scoring and conceding easy goals they could dominate a game, but somehow go out unluckily. They have got a good chance of winning it because, you know, they've got a fantastic squad. They've got great players. They don't have too many injuries. They've got Guardiola who will try and keep coming up with the right answers. They can do it. I just think last season was probably a better chance than this. Dermot, Real Madrid, champions of La Liga, but up against it here, 2-1 down, heading to the Etihad Stadium. But after the success of the return to La Liga, culminating in a league title, is the mood fairly bullish? There must be some confidence in the air here. Yeah, for sure. It, it's strange, really. Reading a lot of the, the coverage or speaking to some ex-Madrid players and pundits and that for some piece I'm doing at Atletic this week, you, you kind of have to remind yourself that they are 2-1 behind to Manchester City and that City were, especially in the, the closing stages of the first leg, a far superior team. You know, It could have been even worse for for Madrid at the Bernabeu and at that stage they looked out of it but because of just how just what a, an efficient machine they were when, when they came back is one part of it and also just the history of Real Madrid in the competition which is kind of embodied by Zidane as well both as player and as coach that they feel that no matter what the, the circumstances are that they, they'll be able to, to find a way to win things are the, the odds would be against them but they say you know we're Real Madrid we can win any any game especially in the Champions League Do you think that um, given that they are up against it hypothetically, if they weren't to go through, if they were to exit the competition in the round of 16, would that feel kind of disastrous for the powers that be and the fans who have very high expectations? Or, or have they been sort of sated somewhat by having beaten Barcelona to the title? Yeah, the, the second one, I think, because the way the circumstances are that normally in Madrid, the, the European Cup of Champions League is, is the bigger deal, but, but they have won quite a few of them in recent years. And because you know, of the situation against City. They put a lot of effort and emphasis onto winning the La Liga title, the way they did it in, in overcoming Barcelona and, you know, being such a, a solid machine while Barca were falling apart. They really enjoyed that and, and they they kind of celebrated it a lot as well, both the, the players and the fans that, I know, they saw that as kind of like, they, almost like their season was already over and now they have a shot to nothing against City, that if it doesn't go well, there won't, it won't be like a call for Zidane to go or for a big shake-up of the team as there would have been it in other situations that, that this year they feel that they've done their work and now they can see, as I said, the City game is kind of a shot to nothing. Rafa, the bookmakers currently have Manchester City and Bayern Munich more or less joint favourites for the Champions League. They're actually on the same side of the draw, so could meet in the semi-finals. You wouldn't be lacking narrative 
if it was Pep versus Bayern in the Champions League semi? No, um, it would be very exciting for, for a number of reasons. Of course, at Bayern in three years, he never managed to get beyond the semi-final, three times beaten by Spanish opposition, left with um, part of the job un- not quite done, not finished, um, even though he took really Bayern to a different level in terms of the performances and some of the, the beauty of the football that they played. And of course, Bayern could conversely stand in his way if they were to knock him out in a year that I think with City's win at Cass is kind of gearing up as maybe the year that City might do it in the Champions League, but they will have to overcome very, a very difficult path, which could include Juventus along the way as well. Uh, and that's before, of course, meeting anyone in the final. So a tricky, uh, tricky prospect. But um, we recently found out that Uli Hoeneß, the former Bayern president, still sends Pep 10 kilos worth of grilled sausages every three months because he's worried that Pep doesn't get any good food in England. <laughs> So uh, relations are still very cordial at that level, at least. That is amazing. Um, Let's talk about Barcelona against Napoli. Uh, It's one all from the first leg, which was in Naples. They go to the Camp Nou. Uh, James, I'll come to you first. You mentioned a little earlier in in how Napoli have changed under Gattuso. From From a tactical or stylistic perspective, is this a team in the image of Gattuso the player? Or can we expect to see something a little different from how maybe your English fan will remember him uh, in his playing days? It's a mix. I think he is your archetypal Italian manager who views his job as being similar to that of a tailor in that you cut your cloth accordingly, depending on the players that you've got at your disposal. And he looks at that Napoli squad and he sees a lot of very skillful technical players. There's one that I think Barcelona, Real Madrid will have an eye on, which is Fabian Ruiz, uh, the midfielder that they signed from Real Betis a couple of years ago. And I would say that it's more intangible what he's brought um, to Napoli. Yes, he's made little changes here and there. You know, they had some corrective surgery in the January transfer window, uh, filled some holes in midfield with Diego Deme coming from uh, RB Leipzig. Um, he's made a real difference. Um, but to be honest, you see the grit and determination and the willingness to sacrifice one for one for all uh, with Napoli. And I think that's got them far, certainly in the Coppa Italia, where they had to overcome the holders, Lazio, they had to overcome Inter, and then overcome Juventus in the final. Have they done so by being a reactive team, a sort of Atletico Madrid style, you have the ball and we'll pick you off? Or can they go toe-to-toe potentially with So they can do both. Um, This is the really interesting thing, is that there are some games where they'll sit deep and they'll look to hit teams on the counter. Um, They've certainly got the pace to do that, although Insigne is a doubt at this moment in time after he came off in the win against Lazio um, at the weekend. But they've also got the personnel that allows them to impose themselves on their opponents. You know, I think uh, they have maybe the second highest average possession stats in the league in Serie A this season. So they can beat you in a, in, a, in a whole host of different ways. And I think that's what makes them such a dangerous cup side because you... You know, we, we know a lot of the players that Napoli have. Yeah, you know, it's been more or less the same group, um, give or take Jorginho, Hamsik and the like for the last three or four years. But I think what Gattuso's brought is a little bit more variability, a little bit more unpredictability. I think that's why Barcelona have to be wary, despite what 
not losing a European game at the Camp Nou since Bayern, when Bayern won the treble, if I recall. Barcelona had a disappointing end to the season, it's fair to say, giving up the title to Real Madrid. And Dermot, we've talked about some of their issues under Kike Setien on a previous podcast dedicated specifically to Barcelona. They go into the second leg at the new Camp with the tie all square, one all against Napoli. They've got that away goal. But more importantly, have they put the disappointment of not winning La Liga behind them? Or is it all kind of doom and gloom at Barca at the moment? It's hard to overestimate really how bad things were at Barcelona through the, through the last few weeks of the season with the different rows going on between the coach and the, the players and, and the directors and president under pressure from the fans and everything that went on. And that game against Osasuna will be their most recent game at the camp now. And after that, Messi came out and said, you know, they lost 2-1 at home to a team who had, who had nothing to play for. Well, they were going for the title and Messi said, you know, we're a weak team, we're we're not competitive enough, we just let opponents dictate to, to us, we're not the Barcelona that we need to be. If we play like this, we've no chance at all. Like, they did play a lot better in, in their final game of the season when, when they won 5-0 at Alaves and Messi scored and came out after the game and again and said, like, look, I, I know we have problems, but we need to put them aside just for the moment and focus over these couple of weeks on, on preparing for, for the game against Napoli. But really, this is nowhere near the level of a Barca team of recent years a lot of their better players you know Messi's been been very good this season but it's not been his his best season at all for Barca and a lot of their other better players are over 30 as well they're they're, they're on the slide and the youngsters who they've either brought through or have signed have not really come up to it so it's a great chance I think for Napoli to, to do something pretty historic and even once they score if Napoli were to score you'd imagine Barca get very nervous and anything could happen really in the game and Rafa the, the winner of this game will play Bayern Munich presuming that they advance against Chelsea, going into that game with a 3-0 lead. Uh, what would you like to happen here? You fancy a bit of FCB versus FCB in the quarterfinal? Um, I don't fancy buying against any of those sides necessarily. Of course, I mean, they'll be seen as maybe slight favourites, but I think both teams could cause real problems for, for Bayern. I think on paper, they would probably prefer Napoli to go through, but then against a very dysfunctional Barcelona side who want to play football but don't really do it very well in terms of their collective approach. I think Dermot might might agree. Um, Bayern might actually be in a better situation than against an Napoli side that has caused problems for bigger teams in inverted commas uh, before. I'm thinking about all the trouble that Liverpool have had with them, for example. So it's, it's not a straightforward proposition, whatever happens. But I think Bayern believe that if they can keep everyone fit and they have already lost one one big player for them, Benjamin Pavard for the Chelsea game, he might be back or not, but I think most people are not very optimistic about his return. If they can keep, keep the bulk of the starting 11 fit and healthy, then um, they maybe have fewer weaknesses and maybe a slightly more complete side than some of the others. But that is only the starting point and over one leg, it might not be might not be enough. But I think they are absolutely determined to not to look too far ahead and uh, you can't even get anyone in Munich to talk about Barcelona <laughs> and Napoli at the moment because it's all Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea. Um, I guess that is the the prudent way of looking at it at this stage. That's the thing, isn't it, Rafa? Everyone will have more or less said to Bayern that they've got one foot in the quarterfinals and they can start thinking ahead. What have been the, the noises out of the Bayern camp? Because, of course, it's very dangerous to get complacent like that. I can't imagine that being a feature of Bayern Munich's play. Well, it's been quite interesting because the the dominance that we've seen from Bayern domestically, where they've won every single game since the restart, combined with other leagues being slower to come back 
and maybe not quite having the same um, attention in Germany has led to this weird dynamic whereby everyone or a lot of people have seen or have treated Bayern as almost as a foregone conclusion for winning the Champions League. I think since the draw, this has dampened down quite considerably uh, when people have woken up to the reality of what Bayern would have to do to, to make it to the final, uh, let alone win it. And I think there's, there's now in, in, in the wider public, if you will, a more realistic appraisal of Bayern's chances and, and a realisation that um, it's going to be pretty difficult, even for, for a team that might be the best team left in the competition. So I think a more pragmatic approach, I think a more step-by-step approach. And of course, the that plays into the hands of Hansi Flick, who's been adamant that Bayern shouldn't get ahead of themselves, that they should concentrate on, on Chelsea and should not think about anything else. And I think it will be reflected maybe even in the lineup because in his uh, one and only test game since they've come back against Olympic Marseille, he's played what looked very much like his first eleven, And interestingly, it had Perisic on the left rather than Kingsley Coman in what is a slightly more defensive and cautious setup. And I think they are just really careful, having tasted the, the vagaries of um, a football behind closed doors, that they don't want to get into one of those crazy games that we have seen where things suddenly become <laughs> very open and, and the games kind of descend into some kind of chaos. So they want to keep this as controlled as possible and I think just play it out and hope that, you know, maybe they can score a couple of goals or maybe just see out a nil-nil draw. That sort of result, I think, would, would, would ease them back into the competition. That's the approach. Well, that's the Bayern perspective, desperately trying to guard against complacency. But what about Chelsea? Do they have any hope at all in this tie? Here's what Simon Johnson had to say. He's speaking on the Athletics Chelsea podcast, straight out of Cobham, earlier this week (laughs) damage limitation Mm. (laughs) um i I only say that simply because lampard is going to really struggle to get a decent team out there's not just the injury problems of which there are a number um not just the ones sustained in the in the cup final itself but of course you had william pulling out ahead of the game ruben loffer's cheek and of course william might be soon announcing his his future and from what i'm led to believe it, it it won't be at chelsea so is he really going to want to be involved in this dead rubber, even if he's fit? Um, then you've got Marcus Alonso and Jorginho suspended. So it's it's a difficult one for, for Lampard. I know that he doesn't want to end the season with, with a humiliation, a, a drubbing. So he, he'll hope that Bayern Munich will be a little bit rusty because, of course, they haven't had a game for a, a proper competitive game for for a while. It's perhaps a chance to have a look at players that have not had that many minutes to, to sort of make a point ahead of the next season. I'm looking at players like Tamori, who hasn't played a single minute, Callum Hudson-Odoi, who of course could have moved to Bayern Munich a year ago and has and is, and is not really kicked on due to a combination of factors. But really, he, he will just want to make sure that Chelsea don't end what's been a positive season with a with a heavy defeat because that would leave a very sour taste going into what is a very brief close season. Now then, do you like beer? Do you like free beer? Because as a valued listener to the Zonal Marking Podcast, we'd like to bestow upon you just that. Thanks to our good pals at beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash zonal 
and cover the postage of just £4.95. If that wasn't enough, as a listener of Zonal Marking, you'll get two extra free beers. So that's 10 free beers. Beer 52 are beer pioneers. They traverse the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the greatest small batch breweries planet Earth has to offer. No surprise then that they are the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 delivers you a case with a different theme. And previous themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand, and many more. But they haven't forgotten their roots. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave at any time. The power is in your hands. And as well as the best, most interesting beer money can buy, your case will include the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment, which explains the theme and individual beers you'll receive, and a beery snack is thrown in, just to top it all off. And if you don't like dark beers, choose the light plan. Easy. Just go to beer52.com forward slash zonal to get your case free. And don't forget, right now, Zonal Marking listeners get two extra free beers. One game that's very well balanced at the moment is Juventus against Lyon, because Lyon won 1-0 at home in the first leg. Here we go back to Juventus uh, with Juve, the recently crowned Serie A champions, needing to overturn that deficit. It really does feel like it, it hangs in the balance, James, but you probably can't go into a game more confident than when you've just secured a league title. Is that the <laughs> feeling around the place at Juve? No. <laughs> I'm afraid not, Ali. <laughs> I think there's some trepidation uh, going into this game, which yeah, <laughs> feels strange um, because on paper, a team that has been assembled to win this competition should look at this the way that Pavel Nedved did when the draw was made, which was, it could have been a lot worse. We have no complaints. And yet they find themselves 1-0 down against a side that may not be up to speed in terms of match rhythm, but will be fresher uh, than they are. City sides had more fixtures to fulfill and they were later coming back than some of the other leagues um, from lockdown. And we saw Paolo Dybala go off injured in the uh, penultimate game of the season. He's been their best player this year. He's often been the guy who has been able to unlock games. He scored the first goal for them a lot of the time. And I think there is some optimism that he will maybe feature in this game, but they don't want to risk him in the event that they go farther, go further in the, in the competition. But all the pressure is on Juventus um, going into this second leg. And I think what's one of the reasons why there is a degree of concern is that um, they haven't scored fluidly or fluently so far this season and they've really struggled to to, to shut teams down and keep them out and yeah that uh, yeah the fact that I think only one other Italian champion has won the league conceding what, more than 40 goals yeah again it doesn't particularly bode well given that you know what was once such a strength, for Juventus with you know, Chiellini, Bonucci, Barzali, the BBC at the back. Now there's more uncertainty um, there. And I think that's the thing. The, you know, can they actually keep this Leon side out? Which sounds sounds crazy 
um, when when you think about it. But yeah, given that they're already one nil down and aren't scoring lots of goals, um, yeah, the prospect of conceding one is seen as a is a major worry uh, for the old lady going to this tie. If they don't perform impressively against Lyon, is there any chance of there being some <laughs> trigger fingers hovering over? Maurizio Sarri, despite that Serie A title? Well, look, Juventus won't panic. Um, yeah, I think that's why they've they've held firm so far, even though it's been a far from convincing first season uh, from Maurizio Sarri and a lot of the questions about his compatibility with the, the club and its DNA remain. You know, at the moment, the briefing is that, yeah, they will stand by him, that they are planning their recruitment around him. Um, but I think were they to go out... Um, it would be cause for serious reflection. As with a lot of other clubs in the Champions League and in the Europa League at the moment, I think one of the reasons clubs are erring on the side of caution is because there is so little turnaround time between the end of this season, particularly for those involved in Europe, and the start of next season. Very challenging for a new coach to come in and impose himself and get his new ideas across. So in that respect, I would urge caution. But at the same time, I would say this is this is what uh, Juventus' season boils down to, as it is for Bayern, as it is for Paris Saint-Germain. Um, and a lot of judgments are formed on the basis of, of, of what will happen in that game, in Turin against Lyon. And I think it's key for Sarri to get over the line there because you can kind of you can kind of forgive going out to a Real Madrid or Man City to a Lyon. Not so much. Well, that's who the winner of this tie will play. And it could be Leon, of course, an exciting side with a lot of good young players at Depay and Dembele in an attacking sense, OR in midfield as well. Uh, and a couple of others that f- close followers of English top-level youth football will remember fondly. Bertrand Traore came off the bench in the recent cup final against PSG. Jeff Wren Adelaide is there as well uh, as wonder kid Ryan Cherky. So uh, plenty to be excited about from a Leon perspective. It'll be fascinating to see what will win out in a physical sense, this freshness that they have, having not had to play many competitive games or maybe a little rust as well from not having to play competitive games. It's difficult to know which way it will go. Uh, Let's move on to the quarterfinals now. Of course, some of the round of 16 ties were completed just before football was put on pause due to the coronavirus. Atletico play RB Leipzig. This is a really tasty tie. And Dermot, Atletico have obviously had months to prepare for this game, having got past Liverpool. They're, they're no strangers to going deep into the, the latter stages of the Champions League. Do they feel that they can do it again this year? Do you agree, if so? Yeah, there is a, a quiet confidence around Atletico. Like Simeone kept saying, no, our focus is just on the league, on making sure we, we finish. Because when the games came back, it wasn't 100% certain that they were going to, to finish in the top four to make next year's Champions League. So that was their immediate target for, for the final stage of the La Liga season. But as it went on, it became obvious that they were going to make it. And you could see Simeone was starting to put together a slightly new team, like a different team than played earlier on in the season with the thinking that the, the way the setup of the competition was going to be in Portugal might suit them because they have a lot of a lot of younger players, a lot of physical players. It's a, it's not quite the same type of Atletico team which sat deep and just looked to to grind out results and to, to hang on in games and, and try and nick a goal. It's more of a proactive team. There's there's younger players in there. Guys like Marcus Llorente who's been you know he's known now as the, the hero of Anfield due to his contribution in in that game at Liverpool. And he's been transformed from a, a holding midfielder who's on the outskirts of the squad into a, a key guy who links up the midfield, who gets around the 
the opposition half who presses really, really well and, and can come up with an odd goal as well. So there's a, a real freshness about them and, and a confidence that it's a, a new side and a team which can finally go on and win a tournament that for Atletico is really, you know, it's the last thing that Diego Simeone has to win as Atletico coach. He's won every other competition he can. He, they've entered under his time as coach and there's a real feeling that this year could be their year. Rafa, from a Leipzig perspective, they, they tailed off a little bit after the, the restart of the Bundesliga. Uh, is Nagelsmann one to be able to, to pick them up and inspire them to a surprise run in, in the latter stages of the Champions League? Yeah, you would think so, although you're right that their form after the restart has been has been very indifferent and quite puzzling. They've won some a couple of games at a real canter, destroying the opposition. But they've also had four draws. Uh, they lost one game against Dortmund and only four four wins out of nine, which explain why they don't really have a lot of momentum. I think going into this, going into this tie, uh, it was also interesting to see Nagelsmann uh, field two completely different uh, starting 11s in both halves and their their test game against uh, Wolfsburg, which again finished uh, in a draw you know, a few days ago. So. Whether that is a sign of strength or maybe a coach that's still trying to work out what his best lineup is, I think is a little bit open to question at this point. Without Timo Werner up front, of course, they do lack that bit of explosive pace that, that makes makes a big difference, especially in transition. You might say it against Atletico Madrid, where there aren't probably that many spaces available. It's uh, it's maybe not the, the worst thing. And then going with a slightly more traditional um, centre forward, if you will, and Patrick Schick might actually work out as well. But there is still, I think, a sense of regret that they couldn't get uh, Timo Werner to stay for those last uh, few games because obviously the chances would be much increased as he was, if he was still there. The tactical reality of coming up against Atletico Madrid is, is clear and is uh, pretty large. Uh, to what extent have Leipzig come up against a team in the Bundesliga or in European football? under Nagelsmann, who, who can defend like Atletico? How do they tend to get on against teams who defend it in such a low block? And as you say, have the main objective of denying transition opportunities, which is presumably one of Nagelsmann's main objectives in order of creating them. Yeah, there is no Atletico team in, in, in the Bundesliga. I think it's fair to say, I'm not sure there's an Atletico team anywhere in the top five leagues. Uh, when you combine their sort of passion, commitment, uh, but also quality to uh, and their defensive mindset, uh, of course, they have they have played against sides that that sit quite deep and, and tried to hit them on the break. Most teams are a bit more proactive in the Bundesliga, but Leipzig, I think, again looking at uh, some of the results, some of the performances in the restart, just have li- lacked a little bit of a spark and uh, a bit of moment of of creative ingenuity in the final third. And whether that can come back or not, I, I'm not sure. But I think Nagelsmann's been working very hard to try to figure out what it is that that hasn't been quite clicking for them. And uh, we're trying to find ways to get behind this Atletico Madrid side. But I think you're, you're looking at a very cagey and fascinating, but perhaps not the most open games of this of these last ties in, in the Champions League when those two will meet next week. It's definitely fascinating from a, a tactical perspective. And Nagelsmann, one of the more interesting tactical managers around. I've actually been slipped a note here. don't want to give too much away, but you're talking to Nagelsmann this week. Will we see a, a piece on the athletic site following that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm still trying to work out what I'm going to ask him, but 
eventually I'll come out with something. Okay, well, uh, as mentioned at the top of the show, theathletic.co.uk forward slash zonal marking will get you a 30-day free trial. So if you have held off up until now, but Rafa talking to Julian Nagelsmann is what tips you over the edge, then that's the place to visit for a 30-day free trial to check out everything on the Athletic site. Another quarterfinal is Atalanta against PSG. Uh, This is another fascinating one for the neutral, especially. And James, you joined us for a podcast on Atalanta earlier in the season. I don't think there are any neutrals in this game. (laughs) No, well, I mean, Atalanta, they are the neutral's choice, aren't they, Rafa? Exactly. For for everything. The darlings of the the European football expert. And, And James, you explained why on an earlier pod, which focused fully on... Atalanta. Uh, this is an unbelievable opportunity for them to get to the semi-finals. Uh, how have you? How do you see this game against PSG going uh, for Atalanta? Well, I think it will be fast and loose, which is pretty much what all Atalanta games are. Makes them must-watch uh, occasions. Yeah, I think. They got to grips with the competition uh, really from the halfway point of the group stage. Uh, They realised that uh, Champions League, different pace of games. They recognised what adjustments they needed to make in terms of their defending. And I think they've really got a taste for it. And I suppose what's changed since the group stages and since they overcame uh, Valencia is that pandemic hit, it really traumatised where they're from. Bergamo, which is one of the worst hit areas, not only in Italy, but in the world. Um, And I think that's given them a renewed sense of purpose in this competition to give the city a lift, um, give give it something to smile about because they're back in the Champions League next year, which again is, is remarkable. And I think they look at this as they've got nothing to fear. They're three games from a feat that would certainly eclipse Leicester winning the Premier League. It's a shame in some respects that Josip Ilicic won't be there. Um, yeah, he's gone back to Slovenia, as I said, for uh, with compassionate leave. But they do have so many options up front. You know, they've got Duvan Zapata, they've got uh, Papu Gomez, uh, Mario Pasovic, who scored lots of goals from midfield, Ruza Malinovsky, who must be one of the best signings. Um, certainly in Italy uh, last season. And you know PSG are going to give you something. You know that PSG get to these occasions and something doesn't quite click for them. I I, I get the feeling that whoever comes out of this this tie will reach the final. Uh, that's, That's my prediction. I think they're on the right side of the draw and they probably look at this as the hardest game um, that they're going to face prior to getting to the final. Um, curious to see what, what what PSG do personally, because I think this is their best opportunity since the Qataris uh, invested in the club, uh, assembled this team with Neymar, Mbappe, Mario Cardi, who is a you know sort of cold-blooded killer. You know when it comes to the games that matter most, at least that's what his reputation was at Inter, and you look at his his record in the Champions League: nine goals in twelve games. I think if Mbappe gets back fit as well, there's no reason why this can't be the year where PSG go all the way and reach the final, which sets up the possibility of maybe PSG, Man City, the two sovereign wealth clubs in UEFA's pinnacle event, which, um, you know, you can just imagine the face of uh, Seferin as he has to hand over the trophy to one of them. That would be that would be quite something. Right. 
It's time to whiz through the Europa League now. So many fascinating ties to come. We'll hear from our panel of expert guests in just a moment. But first, let's check in with the English sides still involved in this competition. First up, we asked our Manchester United writer, Laurie Whitwell, whether Manchester United will still be going all out to win the competition now that they've managed to already qualify for next season's Champions League group stages via the Premier League. I think it certainly relieves the pressure. I think if United were going into this tournament knowing that it was do or die for them to qualify for the Champions League and all the huge financial benefit that brings as well as the uh, attraction for potential signings, you know, obviously Jadon Sancho, that deal looks a lot more uh, plausible with United in the Champions League. I think having that as a as a sort of sword over United's head almost would have made the pressure quite a lot more intense obviously not for the last game which is a 5-0 first leg victory to United so if they don't get past that then something seriously has gone wrong but in the tournament in general I think United can go in play with a bit more freedom know that it's not going to be the end of the world if they don't finish as winners of the tournament that being said Solskjaer is definitely going all out to win the, win the thing I think the Europa League would be a very very good trophy for United to finish the season as, as winning I mean he um, Solskjaer if you'd have said that at the start of the season third place in the Europa League I think pretty much every United fan would be very very pleased with that and then if you reflect back on where United were in January I think nobody would believe that United had the prospects of, of doing that so I think certainly Solskjaer is going to go for it he will rotate his team a little bit against Lask but then when it comes to the, the finals tournament in, in Cologne he basically said that he wants his, his full strength side it's, it's three matches across 11 days so it's not like they're going to be exhausted by the end of it that they've had a bit of a break now they're going to have days in between each game he said that his players want to play all his top players want to play in this tournament he wants them to play in the, in, in the tournament so I think we can you know look forward to seeing a, a, a full fully firing Manchester United team and one with a very good chance of actually uh, winning some more silverware and now here's our Wolves writer Tim Spears and whether Nuno's side have got enough in the tank not only to get past Olympiacos, but potentially go all the way in this competition to grab a Champions League spot next season. It's been such a long season for Wolves. Well, the, the never-ending season, really. It, uh, it started on July the 25th, 2019. It's more than a year old. 15 Europa matches in total. And, uh, and they've done all this with the Premier League's smallest squad, which is... Which is testament to their world class, and you know, and I don't use that term lightly. World class sports science and nutrition specialists. Uh, their injury records, I think I'm right in saying, is the best in the league again this year. Towards the end of the league campaign, they did look tired, probably psychologically more than anything. You know that they, they they need a break. They won two of their last six to slip to seventh place, which was a bit of a disappointment. So, in this context, can they rouse themselves for one big finish in the Europa League? Well, what they have had is four days off after the Chelsea game. That may freshen them up. And in terms of motivation, obviously, this, there'll be no issue whatsoever. This has been a fantastic tournament for Wolves. They've taken it very seriously. No weakened lineups. They want to win it. They believe that they can. Looking to Thursday's game, first and foremost, I think it'll be tougher than perhaps people expect. Olympiakos became Greek champion recently they did restart their season if Wolves can get through and if they can reproduce the form of earlier in the season you know this kind of swashbuckling style then there's absolutely no doubt in my mind they can go all the way in this competition you know it's a tough draw if they beat Olympiacos they've got Sevilla or Roma and they've got Man United probably in the semi-finals it's tough but they've beaten all the big boys in the Premier League in the last two years you know either in the league or the cup they've won away at Man City they've won away at Spurs they've beaten United they've beaten Arsenal 
they beat a weakened Liverpool team in the FA Cup last year and, and should have taken a point at Anfield you know this season they've got it in them they've got the players we know that they've got the manager if they can rouse themselves they can win it there's no doubt in my mind but if they show the kind of fatigued form that they ended the season with then even if they do get past Olympiacos you know they will struggle to overcome Roma or Sevilla in, in the in the quarters but one thing I've learned about covering this Wolves team under Nuno is never ever write them off Hey everyone, James Richardson here from the Totally Football Show. Listen, 11 months on, we're finally getting to the best bit of this football season because the Champions League and Europa League are about to restart at the sharp end. Last eight knockout tournaments await in Portugal and Germany and we'll be following both competitions with special nightly podcasts every single match day, ready for you to download first thing in the morning. So have your breakfast with Honigstein, Horncastle, Cox, Gurionov and all your other totally favourites and me as we wave goodbye to this epic footballing year in style. Our daily Totally Summer Special is available on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places. And of course, you can also listen to it ad-free on the Athletic app. Dermot, Spain have got two interesting entrants still in the competition, Hetafe and Sevilla. Now, Sevilla, as much as you can have pedigree in the Europa League, Sevilla are probably number one in the world, aren't they? They're rich history in this competition. Uh, first of all, tell us about Getafe because they're a, a fascinating side. Yeah, Getafe, it's amazing really to, to see them at this stage of the season. Over the last couple of years, they've built a really a really functional, not for, one for the purists maybe, but they're a team who are able to, to squeeze opponents really, really well. They're like a machine who who is able to, to force teams to do things that they don't want to do. We saw that especially in the, the previous round against Ajax, which was a very a real contrast of styles in that game. But Hitafe completely dominated Ajax over the two legs, especially the home game. The Ajax got really frustrated. You know, players got sent off the Ajax uh, towards the end of the game. They just completely ruined everything for, for Ajax over the game. Not not to say that they don't have talented players themselves within the Hitafe team, but, but they don't have a lot of individuals who are going to get picked off by the, the biggest teams. It's all about the, the way that the, the team is set up. The problem for them is that since comeback, the, the, their form has just been really, really bad. They won just one of their 11 games. The, the machine that had been grinding over opponents before just malfunctioned re- really badly. So it was, it was hard, difficult to see what had gone wrong for them. Playing so many games in such a tight schedule didn't really suit their team because they have a lot of older players and maybe they put in such an effort into each game that it was more difficult to recover. But even still, it, it just didn't go so well for them. So their confidence would not be high at Hetafe going into their game. What sort of shape are Sevilla in? heading into a, a game against Roma for a place in the quarterfinals. Yeah, ju- just the opposite, really. Uh, Sevilla had a really good end to the season. They were unbeaten over their 11 games. And coach Lopetegui has set up, a, you know, not again, not the most attractive Sevilla team that we've seen over recent years. Maybe they're, again, built on a, a very tight defence that, that conceded just five goals in, in those 11 games. And then they look for individuals like Ocampos, especially, to, to try and create for them and do something. But, but again, the... They have a lot of confidence in the competition. As you're saying there, Sevilla really feel that the, the UEFA Cup and the Europa League is their competition, that they can go and even against the odds that they can do it. It's a really interesting game for them against Roma with the Monchi connection as well between the, the two clubs because it didn't work out so well for, for Monchi when he went to Roma. But since coming back, he's 
he's helped to put together another you know typical Sevilla team made up of, of players who before he signed them nobody really knew about them or, or they weren't on the radars but now lots of, of the bigger clubs around Europe are trying to sign them like Diego Carlos the, the centre back so Sevilla they feel they're well placed ahead of the time and how uh, is this being framed James from a Roma perspective uh, they, they missed out on Champions League qualification via the league a fair way outside of the top four although finishing in fifth place and in very good form excellent form uh, unbeaten in eight games they've won seven of them and they've they've changed tactics in the meantime uh, they've gone to a back three um, they won't be with Chris Smalling in this game Chris Smalling as we record has bid farewell to Roma because they were unable to reach an agreement to make his deal permanent from Manchester United it's not as big a blow as it probably would have been I'd say two or three months ago because one of the guys that they signed in January, Rodri Banias, has done really well for them in, in uh, centre-back. But I think that tactical change has been key because it's made Roma more solid in defence without taking anything away from the creativity, the fluency of the, their attacking football under Paolo Fonseca. I think it's going to be difficult for them to qualify for the Champions League by winning this competition. Um, A, because they've never done it before and B, you look at the side of the draw that they're on yeah, they'll likely face Manchester United in the semi-finals if they were to overcome, say, Wolves in the quarterfinals. So they're going to have to do it via the Premier League, if you want to put it like that. But this should be a great tie. And uh, as Dermot alluded to, there's certainly no love lost between the current ownership at Roma and Monchi. That's fascinating. And, and even without Chris Smalling, uh, if they were to draw Manchester United, of course, it'd be <laughs> fairly spicy for some of the individual players. Edin Dzeko and Alexander Kolarov, massive parts of this Roma side. Henrik Mkhitaryan there as well. Um, look, Inter only finished a point behind Juventus in the end. Uh, finished strong in Serie A. And according to the bookmakers, the most likely finalists from their side of the draw could meet Manchester United, the most likely finalists on the other half. Exactly how good are Inter <laughs> under Conte right now? Conte doesn't think they're that good, um, which is a problem because he keeps saying <laughs> it. He keeps pointing fingers at various people above him in the club. And it's it's going to be very curious to see whether he's still at the club um, once their Europa League obligations are complete. Um, but... You know, I go into every uh, European competition expecting something of Inter because of the talent that they've got, particularly when they've dropped down into the Europa League, which is already saying something. But you're right. You look at the side of the draw that they're on with Getafe, likely Leverkusen in the next round, and then semi-final of, say, one of Shakhtar Wolfsburg or Eintracht Frankfurt and Basel. Inter, given the amount of money that they've spent under Conte, um, I think only Real Madrid and... Aston Villa had a bigger net spend in uh, last summer's transfer transfer market. They look at this. They should be looking at this competition as one to win. And and Conte's always won something in his first season at a club, aside from when he was sacked at Atalanta after six weeks. You know, he's either got promotion, he's won the league, he's won a cup. Um, this would be the first year in which he hasn't won anything. So, I think it is important for him also um, to maybe just answer a few questions about his resume in Europe. Um, you know he he should have won this competition when Juventus dropped into it in this in that, what was it his his second or third year and the 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 final was in Turin at the Allianz Stadium and he didn't he decided to just focus on getting 102 points in Serie A because that's all that really matters and he hasn't really really been able to shrug off those doubts about his management in Europe so look I 
for me, they should reach the final. But having watched Inter play in Europe over over recent years, under different managers, because they did play very well against Barca and Borussia Dortmund this year, they tend to disappoint. Last but not least, Rafa, the, the Europa League being held almost entirely in Germany from this point on, uh, and three German interests in Leverkusen, Wolfsburg and Frankfurt, all looking to capitalise on the home advantage, if that's a thing at all. Uh, do you give any of them a, a decent chance of winning the whole thing? Well, I think Frankfurt's going to be difficult for them. They've lost the first like 3-0 at home, albeit that was already behind closed doors. And you just could see that without their home fans, they just weren't weren't quite at it. Wolfsburg have to overturn a 2-1 deficit and they have to go to Kiev to play Shakhtar. So at least two goals from them. So it's going to be difficult, but not impossible. Leverkusen have the best chance, really. Not only have they won the first game against Rangers 3-1, but they also look like a team that can cause problems to anyone. Uh, maybe not quite defensively solid enough to go all the way, but I think good enough going forward, especially if Kai Havertz is still there, which in Leverkusen, they hope and believe that he will be. A, a team, I think, that can ca- cause real problems and a team that I think that was going to be one of the most entertaining and thrilling ones to watch left in the competition. So... Uh, they have a chance, but of course they will come up against the winner of Inter and Getafe, which again is going to be a pretty tall order for them. So I'd like to think that one of the German teams can go far, but it's going to be difficult. Well then, the next few weeks are going to be filled with football and European football competitions returning is about as exciting as it gets. My appetite has been whetted by James Horncastle, Dermot Corrigan and Rafa Honigstein. Thanks also to Laurie, Tim, Sam and Simon for giving us the perspective of the English clubs involved in these competitions. And thank you so much for sticking with us in the absence of Michael Cox this week. Hopefully we did him proud with this one. Uh, Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast. It's available for free on all podcast platforms, but available ad-free as well on The Athletic site if you're a subscriber. And you can be one today by heading to theathletic.co.uk forward slash zonal marking. What you'll get there is a 30-day free trial. You can check out all of the writers, all of the podcasts on The Athletic app and website uh, before heading on with your annual subscription. So sign up today, theathletic.co.uk forward slash zonal marking. And we've got a smashing topic for you next week on this podcast. So join us then. (music) 